This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hi, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking to Dr. Christy Clark, a medical epidemiologist at CDC. She's also a commander in the U.S. Public Health Service. We'll be discussing trends of diphtheria incidents around the world. Welcome, Commander Clark. Thank you. It's so great to be here. To start with, what is diphtheria and what are its symptoms? It's very dangerous, right? So diphtheria is a vaccine-preventable bacterial disease. It's caused by Crinobacterium diphtheriae, but specifically strains of it that produce a dangerous toxin. And yes, it's very dangerous. About 1 in 10 patients will die, even with treatment, and even more in populations of young children or older adults. Without treatment, up to half of patients will die. Spread is most often person to person, spread by coughing, sneezing, sometimes direct contact with lesions. And the symptoms at first are sore throat, swollen glands in the neck, a low-grade fever, and fatigue. But after two to three days, um, the patient will develop a thick grayish coating in the throat or nose. And this is called a pseudomembrane. And it's actually how diphtheria got its name. So diphtheria was derived from the Greek word for leather or hide. And that coating can actually make it very difficult for the patient to breathe or swallow. And for that reason, diphtheria was once known as the strangling angel, as horrible as that sounds. Um, so the toxin produced by the bacteria causes cell death, which causes that thick uh, coating. And that can also travel throughout the body. That toxin can damage the kidneys, the nerves, um, can damage the heart muscle, and even cause paralysis and respiratory failure. In order to treat the disease, you need antitoxin in addition to antibiotics. Now, antitoxin is in limited supply, and it's expensive and time-consuming to produce. So diphtheria is dangerous because, first, a high proportion of the patients die, and secondly, the treatment is in short supply and difficult to get to where it's needed in time for it to be really the most useful. Tell us about the DTP vaccine. I know you need a tetanus um, booster every 10 years, or at least that's what we do in the U.S., um, and diphtheria is included in that. Is that necessary to have that booster also for diphtheria? The DTP vaccine that you mentioned is a combination of protection against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. Pertussis is another word for whooping cough. And the diphtheria component of this vaccine was discovered in 1923. So it's one of our oldest vaccines. And three doses of DTP in infancy will protect 95 to 100% of people from diphtheria for at least 10 years. Those three doses are what we refer to as the primary series, and those are on the vaccination schedule for every country. Now, um, in order for a country to have good coverage, in order to prevent um, the spread of an outbreak to getting larger, you need to have 90% of the children in that population to have received that primary series. Now, you also asked about uh, the tetanus and diphtheria boosters that we get in the U.S., and we do um, get those every 10 years in our U.S. vaccine vaccination schedule. So we do need the diphtheria every 10 years as well as the tetanus. Yes, yes. If you're go going to give a, a tetanus booster, it's going to have that diphtheria component and, and, that's, um, and that will help us to maintain our population immunity. Okay, the DTP vaccine was actually not really introduced um, world widely until after World War II, even though it was discovered in the 1920s. Um, and that 
help to reduce the incidence of the disease, as you're saying. But what did diphtheria outbreaks look like before the vaccine? Was it relatively common or was it only a problem in certain parts of the world or at certain times? It was very common before a vaccine, both in the United States and elsewhere. And it was common among all walks of life. So when you look back at the history of this disease, everywhere from in the 1730s, there was an outbreak in the early American colonies that would take the lives of up to half of the children in certain settlements. And then all the way up to royalty. Um, in the 1800s, uh, Princess Alice of the British royal family passed due to diphtheria. So it's something that could really affect everyone. And we're talking top five causes of childhood death um, easily worldwide. And uh in 1921, in the United States, that there were over 15,500 deaths due to diphtheria among 206,000 cases. One story that really illustrates um, how dramatic this disease could be was an outbreak of diphtheria in Nome, Alaska in January of 1925. Um, now, no Alaska in January at that time was only reachable via sled dog. So there was a huge relay of sled dogs and drivers that was known as the Great Race of Mercy that went 24 hours a day over five and a half days through blizzard and minus 60 degrees temperatures just to get this antitoxin needed to treat diphtheria to this town that had been put on quarantine due to an outbreak of this disease. And um, if you go to Central Park, the lead sled dog of the final leg of that relay uh, has a statue in his honor um, right in the park. I actually remember uh, an animated uh, little video cartoon, whatever, of, of this. Yes. <laughs> My daughter used to watch it. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. After the vaccine was introduced, what happened? Did that pretty much get rid of diphtheria? The vaccine worked really well, and there was a rapid decline. Although recently, we'll talk about how we have been seeing some increasing numbers of cases due to falling vaccination rates in some areas. So when it was first put out, there was a rapid decline in industrialized nations that had access. Then in 1974, the World Health Organization, or WHO, started its expanded program on immunization. And that primary series was in that original uh, recommendations worldwide. And that caused a rapid decline uh, then in lower income nations as well. And reported cases hovered around a low point of about 5,000 reported cases a year worldwide from 2006 to 2013. So that's great if you think about 208,000 cases just in the U.S. in a single year in the 1920s, right? However, um, there have been recent increases, um, and there were over 16,000 cases reported worldwide in, in 2018, and that's the highest number since 1996, and those were in areas of poor vaccination coverage. Now, here in the U.S., the last confirmed case by a toxin-producing strain was in 1997. However, as we've learned from recent outbreaks of measles, for example, um, there are lots of diseases that are just a plane ride away, so we can't let our guard down. Your study examines the occurrence of diphtheria around the world in the years 2000 through 2017, as you sort of just talked about. Why did you decide to investigate this? 
Well, there really hadn't been any uh, analysis of the worldwide epidemiology of diphtheria since the year 2000. There was a lot of attention to this disease in the 1990s, and that was due to a big outbreak of diphtheria in the former Soviet republics during that time. So there were several summary articles done at that time. However, since then, there really hadn't been anything published. And like I said, we are are in a time where we're seeing an increase in cases. And uh, in accordance with all of this, the WHO was in the process process of deciding, should we recommend a booster doses in the schedule worldwide? And they also were interested in this analysis. So this paper grew out of an analysis that, that was presented um, uh, to the Strategic Advisory Group of Experts on Immunization of the World Health Organization for that purpose as well. Well, go ahead and tell us about your study then. Absolutely. So I was particularly interested in looking at the ages and vaccination status of the cases of diphtheria that had been diagnosed in different countries. And our objective was to analyze the epidemiology of respiratory diphtheria since uh, 2000 and also look at the vaccination rates within those countries and incorporate that into the analysis. So epidemiology is the study of disease distribution and factors that can change the health status of a population and we use it to help prevent and control public health problems. In order to do that, we needed data. So we gathered the data from published papers, from the gray literature, which means reports that were disseminated but not published in peer-reviewed journals, uh, as well as requested any available data we were able to obtain from surveillance systems. Our final data set included over 15,000 cases from 34 countries. What did you find? Were your findings the same around the world? So in all countries, most cases were in people who were unvaccinated or incompletely vaccinated. And the biggest difference was in the age of the cases in different settings. Countries with more cases had a higher proportion of cases in young children, and that was due to lower childhood vaccination rates. So in countries with endemic disease, that is countries where diphtheria has a constant presence or countries that have more frequent and larger outbreaks, almost two in three cases were in children under 15. In countries with less frequent smaller outbreaks, two in three cases were in people 15 and older. In both settings, about eight in 10 patients had never received a vaccine against diphtheria or had not received the full three-dose series. In countries with the endemic disease, two in three cases had no vaccines against diphtheria at all, whereas incomplete vaccination was more common in the countries with just a few cases. What was the most challenging part of doing this study? Well, the most challenging part of doing this study was putting together the data to be able to do the study. So there is no worldwide database of the age and vaccination status of people with diphtheria. What we have are how many cases were in a certain country in a certain year, but we don't know which ones had been vaccinated, how many vaccines or how old they were. So in order to get that, myself and my co-authors had to review over a thousand abstracts, dig through um, the disseminated reports or gray literature from the ministries of health from many different countries, look through presentations, and then we had to figure out how to put that all together in a database where these data from different sources um, could really um, all be combined to look at some of the factors that we were interested in in a valid way. Um, now this presented a limitation. The same data weren't available for each case in in every single country or region. And we address that um, by doing several sub-analyses, or they're called sensitivity analyses, technically, to test our conclusions. So what if we take out this, this group? Then do we have the same trend? What if we take out you know, 
this other group. So we looked at, um, you know, the strength of the data that we had and used that to decide how to divide up our analysis um, to do the best that we could um, with um, the data that are available on the age and vaccination status of cases of this disease. How long did all that take you? Overall, I've worked on this about three years combined with other projects. So it, it took a good amount of time. Why doesn't every country submit this kind of data to the WHO? Well, I have great news. There are new surveillance guidelines that have been released by the WHO um, for diphtheria. And these are guidelines for collecting, analyzing, and distributing data about um, the people who have um, contracted this disease to help them keep track of uh, where the disease is happening, what are the trends, and how can we take uh, public health action. And those new guidelines do recommend case-based information, which would include age and vaccination status. So putting these guidelines into action will improve the evidence that's available um, for public health action and for future research like this. And in the meantime, you know, this study does show a methodology that people can use if they're trying to look at the epidemiology of uh, a disease uh, for which there's less information available. Uh, As you mentioned earlier, you talked briefly about the over 15 and under 15 people that got diphtheria. And you looked at the ages of people um, who were diagnosed with diphtheria in your study. Why is this important? Did age have an impact on disease risk? So age was really important in our analysis because it was designed to answer the question whether booster doses at older ages should be added to the worldwide recommended vaccination schedule. Now, when you look at the proportion of cases in people um, age 15 and over in a country, and then you also look at um, how many people are getting the primary series of diphtheria vaccine in that country, you can see that um, in countries with strong childhood vaccination coverage, um, there are fewer young people that are getting diphtheria. Specifically in countries with the coverage over that 90% benchmark I mentioned, more than half of diphtheria cases are occurring among people aged 15 and over. And when good coverage is achieved in that primary series, the older people represent a high proportion of cases. And and that did suggest that the addition of booster doses to the globally recommended schedule uh, would be uh, beneficial. Okay, so it makes sense that as more children are vaccinated, fewer of them will catch diphtheria. But why are adults getting sick, especially in countries that don't have a lot of diphtheria outbreaks? So this is something that we see in a lot of vaccine-preventable diseases. Um, There are increasing proportion of older patients as um, there's more children getting a vaccine. And that's not because more adults are getting sick. It's that fewer children are getting sick, so therefore adults make up a larger proportion of the total cases. So that could be for a few reasons. Adults might have grown up during a time when the vaccination schedule in their country was different, when they had few or no uh, booster doses. They could have grown up when coverage was lower, so lower protection in their age group. It also could be due to um, waning immunity from that primary series combined with uh, a lack of exposure because fortunately the disease isn't circulating in that environment. So this is where booster doses can really help. And after weighing this evidence combined with um, other presentations during the session, um, eventually um, the Strategic Advisory Group of Experts and the World Health Organization did update the recommended schedule worldwide to include booster doses for diphtheria. 
Tell us how vaccines work. Give us a rundown on why they're so effective and not dangerous, as so many people seem to believe that they are. I'm really glad that you asked that question because it's a really important question. And I'm going to answer from two different perspectives, which are both uh, really core uh, to, to who I am. And the first is as a pediatrician, and the second is as a parent. So as a pediatrician, I've seen children suffer unnecessarily because they weren't vaccinated against a disease that made them sick. And that's really heartbreaking to see. Vaccines are like self-defense training for your body. They train the cells in your body to know what to do if they do encounter a real germ or toxin. And that way, your cells are ready. And by getting the vaccine, you don't have to get really sick when you're exposed to a deadly disease like diphtheria. That's really important because, as I mentioned, about one out of 10 people who get diphtheria will die. Now, as a parent, and actually having seen the what vaccine preventable diseases can do, I was so relieved when I got my daughter her first set of vaccines. I mean, all parents want nothing more than to protect their children, especially against dangerous diseases like diphtheria. And uh, vaccination is the best way to prevent this disease. And as I mentioned, in our interconnected world, diseases like diphtheria are just a plane right away. And children are at greater risk if they're unvaccinated. That's not something... That's not a risk that I would ever be willing to take. And as a pediatrician, it's um, certainly not a risk that I would ever advise anyone to take. Can you just tell us real briefly how a vaccine works? What actually happens in your body with vaccine? You're not introducing a medicine. This is this is a different process, right? Right. So it is different. It's um, being exposed to um, usually a certain component or in the case of diphtheria, um, a toxoid, which is um, uh, inactivated version of the toxin, um, so that your body can learn how to defend itself um, if it were to ever um, encounter the real thing. So basically, um, being in a, a situation where there's a safe um, component that it can react to uh, so that it can protect itself in the future. All right. What does the DTP vaccination schedule look like? And why did experts pick that specific time frame? So previously, the global schedule included three doses in the first year. But now, after all of that evidence was presented, it includes three booster doses. So one at 12 to 23 months of age, one at four to seven years of age, and one to nine to 15 years of age. And many studies have indicated that these are the ages to continue to increase protection, and that in countries that have followed a booster schedule, the disease has been better controlled. So we've had booster doses in the U.S. for a long time, but this is a new recommendation in terms of worldwide. Since your study ended in 2017, have there been any major diphtheria outbreaks around the globe? And if so, what caused these? Unfortunately, yes. So as I mentioned, there are over 16,000 cases in uh, 2018 that were reported. And large outbreaks have recently been reported largely in countries that are experiencing conflict, social disruption, or there are areas maybe of insecurity or disruptions in the supply chain that make basically any circumstance that makes routine vaccination difficult um, makes it 
more possible for there to be an outbreak of diphtheria. And that's something that we have seen. So you may have heard of the major outbreak among Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh. Um, Yemen, Nigeria, and Venezuela are also among countries reporting high numbers of cases uh, last year. Based on your results, what steps do you think the international community should take to keep fighting diphtheria? Well, I think that the actions fall into three categories, vaccination, surveillance, and treatment. So in terms of vaccination, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, recommends that children do receive all of their vaccinations on schedule. And um, it's particularly important um, for children to receive the primary series on time. Global coverage with the primary series is 86%, and it's plateaued near that level since 2010. So it, the primary series is still really important to get right, um, but also to start the recommended booster dose schedule and monitor coverage rates with those booster doses to be able to make them the most effective. Now, secondly, with surveillance, we need to have effective surveillance systems in place in areas of conflict, refugee settings, et cetera, um, to be able to de detect diphtheria outbreaks from the earliest stages and keep them from spreading in these vulnerable populations where we've tended to see some of the recent outbreaks. And um, for all countries to use the new WHO surveillance recommendations that include that important um, information like age and vaccination status. Now, lastly, in terms of treatment, um, to improve the availability of diphtheria antitoxins so patients can be treated as, as quickly as possible and how fast they get that antitoxin um, definitely is important in terms of um, their risk of, of dying or serious complications from the disease. In your opinion, what's today's greatest public health challenge? Well, of course, CDC's work in addressing public health challenges is informed by the evidence-based science, not um, anyone's personal opinion. And, and the evidence, both globally and domestically, tells us that addressing the health of young children remains a challenge and a top global health priority for CDC. And, and certainly, of course, having uh, spent all those years training as a pediatrician, the health of young children is a top priority, you know, for, for me. And, and um, when you look at this uh, multifaceted challenge, the, the health of children is not just addressing barriers to childhood vaccination, which we've talked about being important, but it also involves, you know, nutrition um, and uh the fact that children, you know, have developing lungs, um, they have lower body mass and are more sensitive to anything in their environment. Um, we're even learning more about how traumatic experiences early in life can impact chronic disease risk into adulthood. So um, the challenge of trying to make the next generation healthier than ourselves is really one that is multifaceted. And even though CDC is known as the public health agency and there are public health departments in all of our states, which are important partners, really in improving the health of children is, is a team effort. It's parents, it's families, um, it's teachers, it's everyone in our community. And I just am amazed if I imagine what our world could look like in 40 or 50 years if we were able to meet this challenge, because globally, children are about a third of our population, but they're all of our future. On that note, tell us a little bit about your job at CDC. What excites you about it the most? Sure. I'm a medical epidemiologist. So I'm a physician who can treat individual patients, but I also study patterns of disease at a population level. And I love that for two main reasons. First, it's 
so multidisciplinary. I loved my pre-med courses, but I was a Spanish major and an international politics minor. And what I love about public health is that it's where science intersects with sociology, with economics, political science, psychology, communication, all of these things. And, and that's really fascinating to me. And secondly, I love the variety of challenges that we're confronted with. So they're always changing. And, and I've done deployments for polio eradication, for Zika virus, for Ebola virus disease several times. And uh, I'm able to help people out, which is a true honor. And um, I'm, I'm always learning. And, and I've had the opportunity to work in areas um, both infectious disease as well as nutrition, reproductive health, birth defects. So um, I'm able, I like to envision addressing childhood health challenges, but I love that through my work, um, I'm able to be a part of that change and meeting that challenge. Well, thank you for joining us today, Commander Clark. It's my pleasure. It was really wonderful to be here with you. And thank you out there for joining us. You can read the October 2019 article, Global Epidemiology of Diphtheria, 2000 through 2017, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.